Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, people. Welcome back to the Honey Homeschooling the Kids podcast. And I think we're going to do another review in this one and read the reviews. Okay, so in this one, it's about the Peter Gray episode. And the person who said this is my auntie, I see Han. <laughs> anyway. It says, I love this episode, Robin. I've worked with parents and kids for 35 years, and virtually everything he said resonated with me. Thank you, Andy, for that review. <laughs> Ova has been homeschooling since 1991, and that's quite a long time. That's like 32 years, right? Yeah, 32 years. That's quite a lot. Okay, Mom, <laughs> your turn now. Thanks, Ronan. Yeah, I had a great conversation with Melva. I've actually been reading her book, Slow Homeschooling Essays About Mindful Homeschooling. I've been reading it slowly. It's so good. I just read a little bit each day. It's actually the perfect kind of start to the day. Melva is what I call a homeschool veteran. All of her children are grown. And like Ronan said, she started homeschooling in 1991. She's a grandmother to one. And we talked about all the changes that she's seen throughout the time in the homeschooling community or the homeschooling space. And I really love and appreciate her insight. Uh, we talked about socialization. We had a great conversation about socialization, intolerance, community, slow homeschool and unschooling and success, the meaning of success, especially for her, since uh, many refer to her homeschooling experience as the successful homeschooling experience because her homeschool kids have or are attending university. And one had no problem entering Harvard as a homeschooler, which some uh, consider the pinnacle uh, so we had a great conversation on that and what success really is. So you can also check her out online at www.potlucklife.com. Sorry, she hasn't been homeschooling for 32 years. She's been homeschooling 29. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so now I hope you enjoy the episode and make sure to follow my mom on Instagram at unschoolingrobin.com. And Honey Homeschooling the Kids, and on Facebook at Honey Homeschooling the Kids, and make sure to leave a review because we love reading those. And yeah, thank you for listening for the episode. Bye. Okay, so today on the show, I have Milva McDonald joining me. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, come on the show, Milva. Thank you, Robin. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I am as well. Uh, Melva McDonald is the mother of four adult children and proud grandma of one. Congratulations. Thanks. She began, <laughs> she began homeschooling in 1991 after reading an essay by John Taylor Gatto and realizing that school and the PTA weren't for her. For three decades, she worked for the Boston Globe and Boston.com, writing and reporting about arts and cultural events in the Boston area. Other pursuits included running a folk music coffee house, facilitating creative writing groups, cooking up a storm, singing in choruses and stage shows, and organizing countless field trips, support group meetings, and community events. She is a founder of Advocates for Home Education in Massachusetts and served on its board of directors for more than a decade. 
For many years, she has facilitated creative writing groups and book clubs for homeschoolers, a pursuit she continues to love. She blogs at www.apotlucklife.com and has two books, Unschoolers and Slow Homeschooling. Wow. Thank you, Milva. Thank you. <laughs> so I've had a, a chance. I've read your blog and I, I really enjoy it, A Potluck Life. And um, obviously, you know, I, we all know that you have homeschooled for many years. The great thing about the show is I, you know, I really try and introduce different perspectives and different unique learning journeys that families have been on because I think it's really unique to each journey is, you know, depending on yeah, your beliefs, how your structure, where you live, all of those other factors. So um, your children are now adults. Did they always, did you homeschool from the very beginning from, did the, any of them ever attend school to start yes. out? Um, so I have a, my unique situation is I have four children um, over two marriages. So my oldest child, my is my daughter is 34 and she did go to kindergarten. I was actually very excited to send her to school because I enjoyed school when I was growing up and it was something I was really looking forward to. But I think I had, I had an unrealistic picture, kind of an idealized picture of what school would be like. And uh, my husband at the time and I had moved to a quote unquote good school district. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So, you know, I so that it, often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't, you know, an issue where the schools were supposed to be bad or anything, but it was about a month in. I just wasn't happy. I, I had imagined that they would be doing different things than they were doing. So I didn't like what they were doing. And I also noticed that the attitude of the teacher towards the kids was disturbing to me. Um, she would, you know, she had favorites. My daughter was actually one of her favorites, but I didn't like the way she treated some of the other kids. And I, I saw tracking happening that I didn't like. I, I didn't want my daughter to be in that environment, even if she was being tracked as one of the top kids. So in the process of looking for alternatives, I talked to a friend of mine who homeschooled. And when she told me she homeschooled, I kind of thought it was a nutty idea. <laughs> but I'm the kind of person that researches all my options. So I said to her, can you give me some information? And um, she gave me some materials. And one of the things she gave me was this essay by John Taylor Gatto. And I read it and I just, it was my only instant conversion experience of my life. <laughs> yeah. I read it and said, I'm not sending my kids to school. Um, so I did, but I like to say that even though I started homeschooling because I was dissatisfied with my daughter's school experience, I kept doing it because homeschooling is good. So it started out of dissatisfaction, but I don't think that could sustain someone continuing to homeschool for years. You have to really do it because it works and because homeschooling is a great option, not because you're just trying to avoid something bad. Right. Which is interesting because that is a reason that I do hear many families why they choose to homeschool to begin with is because they're dissatisfied with the school system. But I think it's the first time I've ever heard it put that way that to continue homeschooling, you have to feel that, you know, homeschooling is good and that it's really working for your family. Yeah, I feel that's true for me. And I, I think I've seen it in the community as well, because you'll, you know, people will homeschool sometimes 
they take their kids in and out of school or they do it maybe as just a stopgap measure for a couple of years and then they find a school situation they like. And so that's great that everybody sort of can find what works for them. But for us, it was definitely homeschooling. And that was the best choice for my family. And that was why I kept doing it. Right. So then you read the essay from John Taylor Gatto, and that was, you said, was your first ever immediate conversion. Yeah. What about your spouse? Was, um, was your spouse <laughs> on the same page? Was it just a flow like, yes, I, you passed it on and you agreed and, and that yeah. was the rest of the story? Well, at that time he was, I mean, we talked a lot about it and he did a lot of reading as well. I mean, I continued to do more reading. I read John Holt and, you know, he read Deschooling Society and, you know, Ivan Illich. And Mm -hmm. so we were doing, we were both doing a lot of reading and we were both on the same page. And then when we split up two years later, things, you know, a couple of years after that, things started to get, you know, he started disagreeing. And, and that's very common. I, I hear that a lot from um, when, when marriages split up, that spouses that were formerly supportive changed their minds. I think right. it's common. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do as well. Okay. And like, can, can I ask, how did you, um, uh, how did you work through that? Because I know you, because you continue to homeschool your kids. So with that, I guess I can just say disagreeing or, or even disapproving, I guess Mm -hmm. I can maybe even use that word. How did you continue through all of that? How did that work? Well, we homeschooled for two years. And then when we split up, it was, you know, I worked. And so it was just practically impossible for me to keep homeschooling. So for two years, they went to a private school and as soon as I was able to start homeschooling again, I went to him and said, I'd like to homeschool again. And he was still okay with it at that point. So he said, fine. And then they homeschooled for three or four years. And then he insisted that they go to high school. So my oldest daughter went to high school, but my son didn't go because we, you know, he didn't want to go. And so then he talked to his dad. And so it worked, you know, so that's how it went. So my daughter, she was in school for two years and then she went to high school, but she was homeschooled the rest of the time. And my son, he went to first and second grade and then he was homeschooled the rest of the way. And my two younger daughters with my second husband never went to school until college. Okay. Okay. Wow. It, I, you know, that's a, that's an interesting dynamic. Okay. Okay. And the rest of your family, did they always support this choice? Well, um, my ex-husband's parents were definitely not excited about it. And, you know, they would, they used to quiz the kids. I think that's also very common. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of, it's one of those annoying things that happens. Um, so they would do that. And then sometimes they would ask my, once they even asked my son if he wanted to, uh, move in with them so he could go to school. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. But my family, you know, my mom, she, I don't think she loved it, but she didn't really say much about it. She was more, you know, she, she was more upset that I, we didn't have a television when 
uh, we got rid of my our TV when my son was 10 and she would always try to give us a TV for Christmas. <laughs> She's like, your kids, you need a TV. She thought they were being deprived. So, right. <laughs> but she They're didn't really, out. yeah, she didn't say much about the school. And, you know, I have brothers. They, no, nobody really said anything. It was just my um, former in-laws. Okay. Okay. Because that is actually a question that I do get from listeners and the community from time to time is that, you know, what do I do if my, you know, my spouse, I'm really on board with homeschooling and I want to start, but my spouse does not support it and says our kids have to go to school. You know, how do I approach that? What do I do? Or we've started homeschooling and both sets of parents are very adamant that we're ruining our kids' lives. You know, how do yeah. I deal with that? Well, the spouse one is a harder question because you know, that's, you have to live with that person and work with that person and raise kids with that person. So for that person, I would say, um, reading materials and it's, it might be hard to get your spouse to read a book, but you know, articles, blogs, whatever, but also meeting people. I think, I think that's, I, I've talked to a lot of people that, um, once they bring their spouse to a support meeting or or a park day or someplace where they're actually meeting real homeschoolers and kids who haven't been to school, then they can relax a little bit because they think, okay, okay, this, you know, these people are nice. These people are smart. These people are not crazy weirdos or, you know, all the things that people have in their heads that homeschoolers might be. And one of the other things that people get really worried about is college. So also trying to figure out like what the concern is and just trying to address it. It's usually socialization or college. Right. right. But, um, and, and for the parents, you just kind of, that, you know, I don't know. That's, you, you, if you have a, the kind of relationship where you can talk to them, you talk to them. Otherwise, you just have to grin and bear it or, you know, draw a boundary if you feel comfortable doing that. It's hard. By the time my in-laws were inviting my son to move in with them <laughs> without talking to me, you know, I was divorced. So I would go to my ex and say, you know, would you mind talking to your parents about this? Because, you know, obviously they can't invite our son to move in with them unless they talk to us first. Um, so, but yeah, it can be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely can. I know that's a question that I've got quite a few times or that I've seen in other groups as well. You know, how do I, how do I get anyone on board or how do I cut out this, you know, negative energy I'm getting towards this? So yeah, I think sometimes it might be an ongoing process as well. So, so that also brings up a question. And I know I had asked you, I said, there's a few different definitions that had come up for me that I know you had mentioned you had written about and that I thought maybe that we can kind of discuss as well. And one of them is socialization. You just brought that up. So, mm -hmm. the, and, and that is something that still comes up, I think, is a question for others who say, well, homeschoolers, I understand why you do it, but what about socialization? You know, aren't they going to be weird? Don't they need to go to school to get socialized? Can homeschoolers get, quote unquote, real socialization? <laughs> well, of course they can. And it's amazing to me. Um, see, my daughter's 34. I started homeschooling when she was six. And it's still, it's, it's been asked the entire time and it's still a major concern. And whenever there's an article written about homeschooling, it's brought up by the, you know, the people that they bring on to talk about the downsides of homeschooling. And so it is always a concern. And 
But once you start homeschooling, you realize that it's just not that big of a deal um, because there's support groups, there's family. I mean, I personally think that socializing with siblings counts and, and learning how to interact with your family members counts as socialization. Um, and, and there's just so many ways with homeschooling, we're not isolated in the home, we're out in the community. So we're being exposed to different people of different ages all the time. The thing that you're not getting that school kids get is going into a building every day, all day with a large group of people that are your same age. And, you know, and so that's what you're not getting. Doesn't mean that you're not getting contact with your peers because you can get contact with your peers through park days, support group, field trips, whatever activities that homeschooling parents collaborate on to create like book clubs and writing groups and math clubs and and then um, activities in the community, you know, sports, theater, music, science clubs, coding clubs, you know, there's just, I mean, I live in an urban area, so there's a lot of resource and opportunity. But I think even in a less urban area, there's still ways to, to uh, become socialized. And I actually wrote a blog post relatively recently called, Is Socialization Overrated? Yeah, right. <laughs> because... Well, I was thinking back to this uh, article that I was interviewed for in Boston Magazine, and one of the lines that the reporter wrote in the article was, but are they are the kids happy and normal? Are they introverted and antisocial? And I thought, well, first of all, what's wrong with being introverted? Yeah, yeah. there's a lot <laughs> um, of people that are introverted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, so and and sometimes I think that this obsession about socialization is borders on intolerance because we're not, it's not okay for someone to be introverted or different. Um, cause if they're weird, then that's not okay. Then, uh, so I, and I had been watching stranger things with my daughter and, you know, there's this group of kids that they're the, they're sort of the misfits of the school. Um, you would look at them and go, Oh, because one of them, they're nerds, you know, they're really into science. They're into doing nerdy stuff. And so, when they go to school, are they successfully, uh, socially successful? No, but yet they're great kids. So if we look at homeschoolers and say, well, there's that stereotype of the awkward, unsocialized homeschooler, is that just being intolerant of someone who's different right? and who doesn't sort of fit the mode of being popular in a school way? Uh, so I sometimes think that this talk about socialization and, and kids, you know, parents are worried that their kids aren't going to have any friends or, but when you really look at even your own life, I mean, you know, people don't, they, they have close friends or it's really the quality of relationship I think is more important than quantity or anything like that. So, yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree. I, you know, I think that's the thing it's, you know, you hear people so many times say, Oh, they, you know, they're so social because they're so outgoing. It's so good. They do such a kind of a praise. Right. And it's, you know, not every sure. Some personalities are like that, but not everyone is like that. And we don't want everyone to be like that. That's the beauty of our world is that we all have our unique differences and personalities. Absolutely. We're going to be some, there's some introverts and there's some extroverts and 
And that's the balance as well, I think, because if everyone was an extrovert, it would be a little bit too intense, I think. <laughs> I think so too. Extroverts. <laughs> yeah, we just, we really need all kinds of people. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is, it's a great point that, you know, why are we, it really, it's an intolerance in that somehow yeah. we have this idea that you have to, to be normal, you have to be a certain way, but there's only this one way that you can be. Right. And even um, different people's sort of interests. And if kids are interested in something that's uncool, mm -hmm. you know, or then they're weird. And when you're homeschooling, you know, the kids don't have to worry about that as much. They don't have, I mean, they still live in the society. So they're completely aware of kind of, you know, watching people and watching how people interact and do things. But if they like something that's considered uncool, then they're not going to get made fun of to the extent that they might in school or if they wear clothes that are weird. I mean, you know, when my son was 12, he was on a basketball team and I guess it was kind of my, I mean, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to wear shorts that didn't, you know, that were above your knee. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he got, he was getting really made fun of and, you know, he came home, we talked about it and we sort of joked around at dinner and we had been reading Shakespeare. So we were like making up kind of Shakespearean style insults just to sort of vent. Yeah. And then we laughed about it. And then I, I said to him, you know, if you want, we can go shopping for new shorts. Cause well, that wasn't serious. He knew he wasn't going to go and insult these kids. We were just, you know, getting it off our chest. And then he just said, you know, no, I like my shorts. I think I'll keep wearing my shorts. But he could have chosen to get the shorts that would have made him more fit in. He just right. didn't choose to. Some kids would. It's fine. But I think it didn't weigh as heavily on him. He didn't have to go to a building every day. He only went to basketball a couple times a week for an hour or two. Yeah. But when you have to go every day, all day, and are exposed to that kind of social pressure, I think it creates a lot of stress, which is actually, I think, another positive of homeschooling. It's a childhood that can be much less stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that 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 is the addition that's added to the all the other stresses that many kids have when they go to school is the pressure to fit within the social constructs and norms that are created within those schools. The, the mm -hmm. ironic thing sometimes I find is, you know, sometimes it seems like that's the uniform way to for every school has these certain norms, but that's also going to change. You you know, you might be at one school and think that this is the way everyone dresses, but then you move somewhere else and it's totally not the same. <laughs> you know, right. So it's it's interesting what we what we create for sure is as to, to fit in for that. Yeah, well, it's also more and more connected to um, consumerism. Yes. Yeah. So but it is. Absolutely. So socialization. Yes. And um, and yeah, I think that, and I agree with what you're saying with about your son as well, being comfortable, comfortable and confident, self-aware, right? Comfortable in your own skin as well and what you want to do. I, and going back to, you know, what you're saying, what's cool to pursue or do. Unfortunately, sometimes I think some passions and interests get dropped or missed because it's not considered cool by the group. So sometimes something that, you know, someone might be extremely into and interested in, it might not be pursued because of what other people will think. Well, with homeschooling, you have the time and space to really get into that. You do. I've also heard people criticize, you know, homeschool or like, for instance, with us not having a TV and that um, 
you know, kids need to be exposed to pop culture and the, you know, all the TV shows and all the things that everybody's watching in order for them to be able to sort of survive out there. And I feel like my, I mean, my, I have another daughter who was really into jazz and she was obsessed with it. And nobody who, you know, not in school, none of the 11 and 12 year olds were going to be listening to the great American songbook, but that's what she was listening to. But then, you know, when she, now she's into all kinds of music. So it's not like not being exposed to pop culture or, you know, all the current TV shows when she was growing up kept her from being able to, be part, you know, when she, when she went to college, she just caught up. It's not, yeah, yeah. it's not hard. You know, <laughs> um, it's not like, I just don't think that they're really missing that much by sort of not buying into, you know, whatever the cool hot thing is right now. Yeah. It's going to change next week. Yeah, exactly. It will. Absolutely. Okay. So let's move to another one. Um, actually I want to, there's one I, because you also, brought this up too, uh, when we were talking about if, you know, if you're getting support from friends or family, if they do do or do not support you, uh, you're talking, you know, you were talking about as well, some of the interests that your kids were doing, your son with basketball, for example, community, how important is community in homeschooling and how important was it for for us? It was huge. It was really important for me. Um, you know, I'm, my personality is such that it's very important I, I know that there's families out there who don't, you know, who are more, I don't want to use the word isolated because it has a negative connotation, but, you know, maybe who don't join a homeschooling support group or they just kind of do their own thing. And I think that that's actually fine. But for us, it was huge. And I think a lot of people, it's very important to them. So when I started homeschooling, it was very different than it is now. There weren't resources. I mean, we were in a period where homeschooling had just really all the legal battles had been won. So it was legal, but there still weren't a ton of people doing it. And there wasn't an awareness of homeschoolers as a market. So we were, it was, there was, I could count the number of families on my hand. There were maybe a dozen families and we bonded because we were all different from each other, but we, we needed each other. (laughs) So, um, so we built our group and then, you know, families would start saying, well, maybe I'll go and ask this museum if they'll run a class for our kids during the day. And, and then museums started doing that. And now it's just sort of part of the operation of these places. And because they realized, oh, wow. And there's more homeschoolers so they can book, four classes a week and fill them. And um, so there's so much to choose from now. I often think if I started homeschooling now, I would just be bombarded with, okay, what classes am I going to sign up for? Um, Where, you know, should I enroll my kid at this place and send them two days a week? Or, and, and when you start homeschooling, you're often insecure and you're unsure. So, it's kind of a vulnerable, vulnerable population in a way. Um, so there's, so it's easy to sign up for stuff. Uh, anyway, so, but we didn't have that. So we kind of stuck with each other and built our community from the ground up. So I think in a way, not having the resources was conducive to community building. 
Yeah, absolutely. I could see that because you really, yeah, you have to create for yourself. You had that common mm-hmm. interest and goal and therefore that's what united you. And then therefore from, from there, you went and found what you needed or created what you needed. Yeah. And it was very organic also because it came from what the interests of the kids were and what the sort of, you know, skill set of each family was. So it just sort of grew from the families. It wasn't, oh, um, you know, somebody created this class that we're going to sign up for. It was my kid really wants to try writing. Let's start a writing group or, you know, I'm really into theater and my kids want to do it. So I'm going to start a theater company. Um, you know, it was kind of more like that. It was just very, it was very organic. It came from the people. Right. It wasn't kind of outside things that uh, were created that you then signed up for. So do you think now the vast amount of choices and resources and activities and opportunities that homeschoolers have, because really uh, many are seeing this as a huge building market, right, to market to, do you think that will affect families uh, on their amount of time that they continue to homeschool? Yeah, I think it's already affected. I mean, I think that on the one hand, it's fantastic because it'll, it, the resources maybe allow families to homeschool that couldn't have homeschooled before because either they have to work and they need, you know, they need something, someplace to have their kid a day or two a week or whatever. Also, some parents who might have been too insecure to do it without knowing that they had all these things to tap into then might choose to do it. So maybe, you know, a positive aspect is that it's more people are homeschooling and finding that it's a great option for them. But it also can, I mean, I see families getting overwhelmed. I actually have known several families that after they've homeschooled for a few years have said, okay, we're going to try something new. We're just not going to sign up for things next year. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so I think that then, some families sort of figure out, we can't keep sustaining this. This is crazy. Why are we doing this? Uh, Whereas when they start, it's like we got it. And also families are trying to find what works for them too when they start. I mean, there is a process when you start homeschooling. Uh, You have to figure out kind of what your rhythm is, what your philosophy is, what works for your kids and you. So, um, but I think with all the resources available, then people tend to sort of just dive in and they're very enthusiastic and then they go, whoa, we got to stop. This is, you know, (laughs) this is crazy. (laughs) So, um, so I do see, I do see families sort of going through that kind of process. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I, um, yeah, I think I, our family even as well went through that at one point in time. And, and sometimes we still, I mean, my kids do, are, are very active in community sports and activities that they like to do. But um, even though we homeschool, you still become very busy. And sometimes it is just about taking that time with your family um, and that connection and that time to slow down in this busy life and filling it with activities can be overwhelming. You know, I think sometimes that is definitely part of the homeschooling process is finding that rhythm and balance. And sometimes that rhythm for you, the time is to really, really slow things down and uh, yeah, take things off your plate or take things out of your life (laughs) for that time to get that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I say that when, 
you know, and I wrote slow homeschooling, but, and I feel like we did have that, especially when the kids were younger, but we were also were a very active family. And, you know, especially by the time the kids were older, I mean, they were just doing all kinds of stuff that they chose to do. Um, So it was all really exciting. But even when you're doing, you know, your sports, your theater, whatever you're doing, your internships, when you're homeschooling, you still usually can sleep in, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, depending on your internship right. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, you, you can structure your schedule usually so that you can find downtime. Whereas for older kids in school, if they want to pursue passions, they have to do it after school and after they've done their homework. And it's just, you know, it, it, I think it's, I, th- I see a lot of kids do it, but I think there's a lot of stress and exhaustion because, you know, we all know about how much more sleep teenagers need. Yeah. Yes. Um, yep. So, so I think even when you do choose, you know, even when you are active, uh, you still have the opportunity for more downtime. Right. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Okay. So saying that as well too, let's talk about slow homeschooling and what that meant for your family. So basically it's kind of what we've been talking about. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's slow homeschooling. It's making conscious choices about how you spend your time. It's about not sort of not jumping on this bandwagon of, oh, I got to make sure that um, we do all this. And because I have to be able to put it in my end of year evaluation or whatever, it's just kind of enjoying life and, It's focusing on relationships within your family and within your community and taking time to pursue your passions and what you care about and savoring every moment. So, you know, I talked about sort of this active lifestyle of older kids, but, you know, when the kids were younger, we were, we would just get up whenever anybody wanted to go to the park, hang out at the park take nature walks, go get the library pass to the museum if we felt like it, just living out in the world in the community. I mean, we, of course, we did our errands and stuff, but it was a very relaxed lifestyle. We didn't do schoolwork. (laughs) Um, So which kind of falls into the unschooling spectrum. But, you know, that word has, has a lot of misunderstanding and confusion and disagreement also about its definition. So actually it was a couple of friends and I that got together a few years ago and we were just talking about what we did and how, geez, when we were homeschooling, there wasn't all this stuff that, you know, that you were being advertised to. I mean, I feel like today homeschoolers are being advertised to a lot. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't have that. And we really just spent time with each other and in the community and in the world. And that's pretty much what slow homeschooling is. And we didn't worry about math and reading and writing. We just kind of, you know, it was part of our world. I mean, we did math as part of our everyday life and we read books all the time. We went to the library. You know, we, we did a lot of things, but it wasn't a structured curriculum and it wasn't okay, we need to do this schoolwork today. That's not how we homeschooled. So slow homeschooling doesn't focus on that. It focuses on relationships, enjoying life, 
and just making real conscious choices about how you spend your time and money, pretty much. Did you start out slow homeschooling from the very beginning? No. I mean, I don't think very many people do. Maybe some people who do a lot of reading and figure out that that's what they want before they have, you know, before their kids are school age. But for me, like I said, I really wanted my kid to go to school and I was excited about it. And then when I made the choice to homeschool, we got workbooks. We thought we were going to do all this stuff and it just didn't really last very long. I mean, it didn't last long for me. We tried to sit down and do schoolwork, but it was not fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, it was affecting my relationship with my daughter. She wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying it. And meanwhile, when we weren't doing that, you know, she would be going in her room. She was writing like mad. She, she used to write poems all the time. She was writing an invented spelling. She would read, she would draw, she would make really, you know, make her own choices about how to spend her time. And she was clearly learning and, from that. So I just realized, you know, I think I probably don't need to worry that much about this because she's only in quote unquote first grade. And what do first graders do anyway? Right. Academically. I mean, you know, when you look at elementary school, there's not a whole lot of academics going on anyway. So I, I just felt like, I, I don't think I need to worry about this. I think I want to just enjoy this. And so that's what we did. But I think that happens to a lot of families. They sort of come to it in the process of homeschooling and they realize, gee, this, our time is much better spent this, this way than sort of, you know, getting in conflicts about trying to figure out how to do, you know, uh, all these addition problems and memorize the multiplication facts and whatnot. Yeah. yeah so, absolutely. so I didn't start, yeah, I didn't start out that way, but it didn't take me very long. <laughs> okay. Okay. But you know, it's also interesting too, because I know one of the definitions that I had written down as well was unschooling, because I think for some, the term, how you describe slow homeschooling sounds a lot like the terminology of unschooling. And, you know, I'd reference one of your blog posts, the semantic bleaching of unschooling and how that specific term has changed too, or there's many different nuances and definitions to it, depending on who you ask. Um, so what do you think about that? Would you, are you, you're kind of shy away from the term unschooling? Is there a reason why, or you just feel that slow homeschooling is just a better descriptive fit for your family? You know, I, I'm not anti the term unschooling, if someone said, do you unschool or are you an unschooler? I would say our homeschooling style was pretty, you know, fell into the unschooling realm. But, um, but sort of, you know, there's been a lot of all these different definitions. And I find that it ironically, over the years, people have argued about whether people are real unschoolers, because, you know, if you use a math book, you're not this. Any, so to me, it's just more of a philosophy. But what's been happening in recent years is that it's being used to describe basically what I consider to be alternative schools. So we have this situation now where you can drop your kid off every day at a building all day long and be a homeschooler. You can be enrolled in a public virtual school and stay home all the time, but you're a public school Not student. So it's kind of a... Con right. <laughs> right. right. So it's a confusing time um, for all these definitions. To me, unschooling is a form of homeschooling and 
the sort of expanding it beyond that to, let's say, a democratic school, which are not, I mean, they're not homeschoolers, they're not even unschoolers, and, you know, Sudbury schools don't want to be called unschoolers, but then some people are calling them unschoolers. So, but expanding it outside the umbrella of homeschooling, my interest in homeschooling and why I co-founded the um, statewide nonprofit is to basically be an advocate for people who choose to independently homeschool. I don't care how they do it, if they unschool, slow homeschool, or do something else, because as you said at the beginning of the segment, it's individual for every family. And I've always liked to say that homeschooling is the ultimate individualized education. But I'm interested in sort of helping advocate for people who want to independently homeschool and make sure that it continues to be available as an option. So when we separate unschooling out and put it under a different umbrella, then I don't like to separate it. I feel because, because we're all homeschooling and we all are using the same legal avenues to do that, regardless of how we do it. Um, right. We all, we all need those freedoms and those legal freedoms in order to yeah. pursue yeah. either homeschooling or whatever you want to call it, but in order to be able to have that freedom of how learning and education for our own children. Right. And what's happening in my state is that um, these centers that are popping up, the unschooling schools, are actually requiring people to be homeschoolers in order to enroll their children. So they're kind of, you know, they're bypassing any kind of legal requirement that a school would have to fulfill. But yet, if you enroll your kid there full time, then you then you have to be a homeschooler. So it's all this kind of really sort of confusing legal um, territory right now. <laughs> right. And okay. okay. so, you know, so I just, I like to keep saying homeschooling because that's the word that has been associated with this practice of pulling your kids out of school and, and tradition on, and John Holt coined the term unschooling. And when he coined it, even though it came to be associated with this idea of having no curriculum, when he coined the term, he really just meant, taking kids outside of school, kids learning outside of schools. And that to me has been the essence of unschooling and that it's community-based. It's about the world as kind of your quote-unquote classroom. It's not about going to a building every day and yeah, it's unschooling because there's not a curriculum, but it's missing the pieces of unschooling. It's missing the, you know, the focus on family relationships and community relationships and using the community and the world as your learning tools. Right. I, yeah. You know, it's, it's like finding a mentor that can help you pursue what your passion is. You know, if it's animals, then finding an animal shelter that, you know, welcomes your participation and, you know, just things like that. So I've sort of been saying more slow homeschooling because unschooling, the definition is changing. Right. Yeah, I absolutely understand. Okay. For- Advocates for homeschooling, you had referenced that as well, the nonprofit organization that you created. Yeah, Advocates for Home Education in Massachusetts. Home Education, Mass- okay. <laughs> Advocates for Home yeah. Education in Massachusetts. So that is specifically a statewide or state um, yeah. organization. It doesn't uh, go throughout the United yes. States. No, it's a state nonprofit, just like, you know, I mean, pretty much every state has a grassroots homeschooling advocacy organization. 
Um, there's two actually in Massachusetts. So, um, you know, and it's, it's really just a, a bunch of volunteers who are just there to support new homeschoolers and existing homeschoolers and, you know, present programs. Uh, we have a comprehensive website about sort of all the legalities, how you get started, how you connect with people and things like that. Okay. Okay. I was actually thinking if I will, um, what I can do is I can also, do you uh, put the link to the information for that as well in the show notes too? So okay. I'll include that well for any uh, anyone that wants to look it up or reference it or get in touch with anybody from there too. So, because I think that's, you, you, the advocacy work is very important. Absolutely important. Yes. So I think that's wonderful. Okay. And so what about like, you know, also, you know, going back to the idea of agile learning centers or democratic schools or other facilities like that as well. Do you feel that they are um, enhancing homeschooling or do you think it's just another avenue, even that maybe parents who, I mean, I think for sure parents who maybe cannot, um, who work full time and then have a certain schedule that they can't get away from. Um, but do you think that it's supporting those alternative forms of education uh, that maybe when parents can or families can, they can um, look more into actual home education? Well, I actually, I absolutely think it's enhancing alternative forms of education. And I think that um, having options is great because one size fits all. I don't, I don't think that's the way to approach education. I actually don't think necessarily think that everybody unschooling works for everybody. I, you know, I think that different families have different things that work for them. So having a range of choices is great. I don't consider them to be homeschooling. To me, homeschooling is something different. And it's one of the options across the spectrum. So, you know, you do run into the problem of definitions, but in my state, there is one center that actually became a school and they sort of define, so they, they have a homeschool program and then they have a school. So if you go to their institution four to five days a week, then you're enrolled in their private school. But if you go one to three days a week, then you're in the homeschool program. So it, you know, it's a place that's made an attempt to sort of say, okay, we recognize that there is a difference um, and, you know, kind of draw a line about where that difference is. Uh, But I I mean, I just think that there are alternative schools and I think that they serve a, a great function. But I would like to keep the distinction between homeschooling and unschooling, which is a form of homeschooling, and alternative private schools clear so that people will still be able to choose to independently homeschool and that things don't get muddied from a legal perspective. Yeah, And I also think that um, in general, they tend to advertise and sort of go after the homeschooling community because, I mean, I even saw in one of the um, materials for suggestions of how to start one of these learning centers that referred to homeschoolers as low-hanging fruit. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So, you know, homeschoolers are low-hanging fruit. They're already people who, you know, want something different and they're easy to get to because there's all these support groups that you can just sort of free advertise on 
it's much harder to get to kids in school. I don't know how you do it, but, um, but anyway, so I feel like there's kind of that, I mean, I don't think a, a, a school would a, allow a private learning center or a private alternative school to advertise in their school newsletter. No, they absolutely would not. <laughs> so, but, you know, but they adver- they can easily advertise on homeschooling. So I feel like, you know, and that's part of the syndrome of when you become a homeschooler now, I mean, I, I actually quit my local support group list because I got so sick of all the ads. Right, right. <laughs> So, and I know to a lot of people, they want, you know, they're saying, well, people want to hear about these things and I get it. But if you're a support group and you're trying to build community and there's just constant advertising, then it sort of detracts from your ability to do that. Right. To build community. Yeah. And unite community. Absolutely. I get that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I agree as well because, um, that, that essentially is it because homeschooling is really growing, like exploding, really. I know even up here in Canada, you know, the province that I live in, it's one of the fastest growing homeschooling communities in this country or the, the, this province is. And, um, and that's how it is as well being seen by, you know, it's a market, right? It's another group yes. to market to. Um, so, and with a special specific, um, and it's an ideal market because it's a growing market, a new market, and there's a specific needs and wants and interests that, we can, that can be targeted and advertised to. So it changes things a lot. Yeah. And new families are particularly vulnerable because, you know, it's a scary leap and you want to make sure that, you know, you're covering everything and, you know, you really haven't sort of found your footing yet in how you want to homeschool. So, yeah, I, I, I just think that they're very particularly vulnerable to all the advertising. Yeah. And you're going against what's usually a traditional norm. So you're usually putting, you're, you're especially vulnerable because you're uncertain. You're going into, you're, you know, for most an unknown territory, uncharted waters and on your personal, on that side. And it's something that is not, uh, not something that everybody around you is doing. So you're already going against the yes. tide. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you know, that's that uncertainty and vulnerability is there. That's right. And uh, it can be taken advantage of. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Seeing that progression. Cause I mean, I've only, we've only been homeschooling for seven mm-hmm. years now. And um, I've already see the difference from when we first started. Yeah. It's just, it's really happening fast. And yeah. It is because because I know one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast as well is because when I first started, I felt like there were not very many. And I mean, also, we lived in another country. We were, you know, when I first started, we were living in Jamaica. So the homeschooling community is not uh, maybe it has changed since we were there, but um, it's not was it was almost non-existent mm-hmm. pretty well. And I just, you know, looking online, even as well, there wasn't as much when I was looking for support or other connection or information. And I slowly gathered it, but uh, it didn't, it was a lot more limited before. And then a couple years later after that, it really just started to explode. So yeah, it's interesting. Very, very, and I, and I wanted, and I'm curious to, to know in the next, say, 10 years, what it's going to look like. Yeah. And it's anybody's guess, I guess, at this point, I mean, there are certain things happening that I wouldn't have expected. Like, I, I guess I didn't foresee that um, that this whole thing, that there would be schools that would be starting to 
pop up and calling themselves basically unschooling schools or homeschooling schools. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them have always been there, but there's a lot more that are being created as well now for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to move on to another definition that I had sent you as well. And this is always an interesting one too, because I mean, you are a homeschool parent whose kids are now grown and you'd brought this up earlier. One of the questions, because it, you know, success, how do you show yeah. that you're a quote unquote successful homeschooler? And, you know, some, for some it's, did your homeschooler get into college or university? For some, that's a measure of success. Others, you know, it's some say, you know, just my kids are able to follow their passions and be happy or, you know, others have a different, you know, a measure of success. But for many, it is going to school or university. Um, and I, I mentioned this specifically because of you. <laughs> and you know why? Because, you know, you, um, some would say, oh, you know, Milva is the ultimate version of homeschool success because homeschool to Harvard. One of your kids went to Harvard. So do you agree? What are your yep. thoughts around this? She just graduated, actually. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I'm, I'm very happy that she went to Harvard because it was a great environment for her and it was where she wanted to go. And, um, you know, it was also, they have great financial aid. So for us, it was perfect. Okay. It worked for her. Yeah. It worked for us. But, um, you know, my other kids didn't go to Harvard and I don't really think any less of what they have, you know, accomplished in their lives or the choices yeah, they've absolutely. made. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and if my daughter who went to Harvard hadn't gotten in, she would have done something great too. So, you know, she would have found something else she loved. Um, y- you know, there, the whole college thing, it's definitely a pressure on homeschoolers, but it's sort of out of control society-wide, you know, witness the recent case about people paying massive quantities of money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, and there's huge stress. I mean, my boss's son applied to college this year. He's not homeschooled, but the, um, the level of stress that was involved in just the applications and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's, I don't, I know it wasn't like that when I went to college. Um, so we've definitely sort of come to this place where I think that's not sustainable with college and in terms of the pressure that kids are feeling and that parents are feeling, not to mention the cost. Um, I, I think that for us, you know, with the slow homeschooling or whatever, the philosophy, it's also sort of prioritizing what's important to you and, why and sort of motivations for doing things, why you're doing them and doing them for reasons that are different than sort of a tangible accomplishment or achievement that's outside of yourself, I think can help people deal with all this pressure. So to me, the, you know, whatever success, it's a, it's a loaded word. Um, homeschooling, was successful for us because it was a great lifestyle. We loved it. We were happy. We had great experiences. We had great times. Our kids were constantly learning all the time. 
part of that was play. I, I mean, we didn't talk a lot about play, but, and I should have brought that up when I was talking about slow homeschooling actually, because play is pretty much key. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what they did. They played, we played. And I feel like that continues on into their adulthood. So whether, you know, it's going to Harvard or going to another college or doing an internship or writing music or starting, you know, being in a theater production, that spirit of curiosity and excitement that pervaded their childhood from just sort of existing and playing continues. And that to me is, you know, that's successful. Absolutely. (laughs) That when, you know, when you approach life that way, as opposed to, you know, and I feel like with the slow homeschooling, when the kids get older and they grow up, they're going to be affected by societal pressures. Everybody is because they're human and we live in society. But having that as sort of a foundation, I think, helps them deal with it. I think that's one of the best way ways I've heard it described, how you just said that, uh, you know, because play comes up a lot as well, obviously. Um, and I think because, you know, Generally, because we also have the time and we've created the space, our kids get to play a lot, whether you're homeschooling, unschooling, you know, when we're home educating, right? Yes. And um, sometimes it's un- devalued or undervalued. And we'll say, well, you know, when the kids are young, yeah, absolutely. But as they start to get older, they should be playing, yes, because they should be more serious. They should start getting serious about life because that's what life is about. As you know, that's a, some of the things you hear, right? And And the value of continuing play, how you said that curiosity and excitement that play really lays a foundation for, that it instills, that it continues, they're able to continue that through their adult life, through their university life. And that really is an asset to them. It's a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think also... For adults, I also think that one of the great things about homeschooling for adults is the opportunity to be around kids and to sort of be able to sort of have that reflected back at them and the relationships. I mean, I always tell parents who start homeschooling that whatever you can do in your community, whether it's to lead a book club or, you know, if you sew, like see if there's some kids that want to get together and sew, whatever it is get together with those kids and get to know them. And it's just, it's going to feed you too. And it's going to help you sort of pick up that energy. And then, you know, it's, I mean, we need, society is supposed to be intergenerational. Yes, it is. Yeah. So. That's how it's naturally laid out from times past to even present time, really, it should be intergenerational. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that for your daughter um, and for all of, did all of your kids go to post-secondary to college university? Actually, no, my oldest daughter, the one who went to high school, <laughs> didn't go to college, <laughs> but she is going now. So, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, you don't have to go to college when you're yeah. 18. Yeah, absolutely not. And I, um, and my son went for two years, he went to a music school and then he quit. So he went, but then he quit. So. Um, so he didn't get a degree and, you know, my, my third child, the one who went to Harvard, she just graduated and my youngest is going to, um, UMass Boston and she'll be graduating this year. Okay. So in in your home, was it something that you gently encouraged that maybe family said, this is really a goal or was it 
really just it's up to the kids supporting their passions and interests. And that was something they found that would work to support it. Yeah, pretty much that was the latter. Um, you know, when they became teenagers, we talked about, you know, they, they had, we had community colleges available to them. And so they took classes there and they just sort of enrolled in the classes they wanted to. You know, I didn't sit down and go, oh, we have to do four years of science and four years of English and all that. But, you know, by the time they were 14 or 15, we, we did sort of say, I mean, they were, we didn't even have to say it. They were already aware of college and thinking about it. And so we would talk about it and say, well, you know, if there's any school you want to go to, maybe look at their website and see what they might require or, you know, and how you might choose to fit that in or not. So, you know, my daughter, actually, there were schools that she was interested in that she chose not to apply to because they had requirements for homeschoolers that she didn't want to fulfill. So she just crossed them off her list. But if she had wanted to go to them badly enough, she would have probably jumped through the hoops, you know. Um, But it's, but she felt like she had the agency to do that. It didn't feel, you know, it was just a choice that she could make on her own. And it didn't feel like she was being sort of deprived or whatever. She was just like, okay, this one doesn't work for me or this one works for me. But, uh, you know, it was really kind of something that they became aware of when they were teenagers And then they could sort of choose how they wanted to approach it. And with my son, he actually didn't enroll in, he he dropped out, but he didn't even enroll until he was, I think he was 20 when he enrolled. So, you know, he waited too. Um, So yeah, I don't think you have to go to college when you're 18 and you don't even really have to go to college to have a fulfilling life. I mean, I have an essay in my book about college where I talk about do kids need college? Right. To a certain extent, the answer is yes, because most jobs require college, but but there's ways you can make a life. I mean, one of the great things about homeschooling is it sort of opens you up to the idea that you can do things differently. Right. Yes. Yeah. You can uh, live a, a fulfilled, accomplished, happy life without doing having to do all the same things that everybody else is doing. Because that's not necessarily the fulfillment by being able to get to the same goal other people are. And and if you do choose those things, it's because you wanted to do it, not because you felt like you had to. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that's right. So I I know we're also coming to our time here, too, and I want to be respectful of your time, too. I I have a few more questions, if it's okay, to ask as well. Yeah, Um, sure. It's a great conversation, Ayanna. You have so much to offer. Thank you so much. Um, One I have to ask, because I I know I'll probably get questions after asking, how come you didn't ask her this? (laughs) Because this this is, I mean, university and college for homeschoolers is something, is another topic that comes up quite a bit and um, questions that are asked about it. Your kids that went and applied, was the application process difficult for them? Was the acceptance any different for them being homeschoolers? Was it an advantage of for them? How did that work? Well, I mean, I don't, I can't really say if it was an advantage because I wasn't in the room with the admissions council you know, yeah. people. Um, I know they got accepted, you know, to various schools. So it wasn't a hindrance. The process was you know, we had to make a transcript. So, you know, as opposed to a kid who goes to high school, the school will generate a transcript. So we had to generate the transcript. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people talk about like, how do I make a transcript? And ours was kind of a uh, cross between a narrative and a traditional. And, 
you know, they had taken community college classes. So those were on the transcript and those they had grades for, but all the other quote unquote classes that we created for the transcript, I didn't put any grades on. So um, what we did was take what they had done during their quote unquote high school years and turn them into courses. So one of the things one of my daughters did was she did, uh, we had a, a, a class that we called arts journalism. She, she wrote for a local website. She interviewed artists and she wrote for them and she was editor of a local, you know, this jazz Boston newsletter. And so she had done enough in that arena that we felt like, you know, that was meaty. And so we called that arts journalism um, she was also really into Moby Dick and she read it three times and she went to a whole lecture series on it and she read books connected to Moby Dick and she had done enough that, okay, we turned that into, that was um, Herman Melville's Moby Dick. That yeah, was a class, you know? Um, so we just kind of took what they had done and tried to put it into a form that, you know, into a transcript, high school transcript form. But like I said, I didn't put grades on those, but they did have GPAs from their community college classes. And then they wrote their essays and, you know, they just did whatever anybody else did that applied. They took their standardized tests and then they submitted their applications. And then, you know, they, some schools they had interviews, some they didn't. I mean, it didn't really, I don't think it was that much different than any other kid applying to college. And, you know, in the, in the rooms with the admissions People, I'm sure they talked about the, the homeschooling, but I think pretty much there's very few colleges now that aren't aware of homeschooling and that um, will turn people away because they homeschool. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty, you know, they know. I mean, actually, my daughter applied to one college in Canada where it was pretty much based on her grades and her test scores. They don't need, they didn't really, it didn't seem like they, she applied to McGill. Yeah. They didn't really do holistic, you know, this holistic uh, application process. Yeah, no, and actually, it is so. different in Canada where it's, uh, and I think, I mean, it's just also our social structure, like the way our political, you know, it, we, our setup is fairly different from the United States in that way. That in Canada, um, mm -hmm. the application process is uniform across across the country, and essentially, it is a standard. You put in your student code, your student number, and then um, the courses have like a code for them. The courses that are taken, so it's um, you can't really create that on your own, but if you, you can through certain school boards, but it's, uh, it's fairly uniform and standardized in that way. So it does make something like the admission scandal that happened in the States very unlikely here because you just can't really do that. Right. They actually, you actually never even go in for a personal interview. It's all done through, um, computer processes essentially. Yeah. I mean, she got her response from McGill, I think in three yeah. weeks. I mean, she didn't have to wait like six yeah. months. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the paper, yeah, so it makes administrative paperwork quite fast because it's all done through technology in that way. Yeah. So it's a di absolutely yeah. a different process, but also our schools, majority of our universities are publicly, have a lot more public funding as well too, right? So yes. our structure is very different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to do is to just, you know, look at the individual schools that your kids are interested in going or they look at the, you know, the websites and kind of get a sense of. And also the other thing, you know, visiting colleges, 
Um, I know one one friend who, when her daughter was like 13 and 14, they just started going on college visits as, you know, whenever yeah. they would travel, they would go on college visits as like a fun activity. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so they just enjoyed themselves. Yeah. And then, you know, so that just kind of tried to take the pressure off and because it is a really, really pressure cooker kind of. It is. Yeah. It really it's, is. it's almost like your, the expectation right? At 18, having to, it, it, we make it, society makes it um, seem like that this is your life. The rest of your life is hanging on this yeah. thread of yeah. choice getting into or going to college at this age when really, I mean, how many times do we change yes. our careers throughout our lives? How many different, I, know. Like, I think of myself I know. even exactly. as well, like I did go to university, but how many reiterations of life have I already had? And I'm 42, you know, it's, it wasn't my Absolutely. be all end all. And I think some of my best learning experiences were actually during my college years, but when I wasn't even in college, when I was traveling around the world or, you know, that it's, yeah, it's, we put it all on one thing when really it's just a piece of a small piece of our life. I think so. And, you know, I think we all do that, as you said, sort of change course and do different things. But one thing I've noticed is that with kids who were homeschooled and especially unschooled, they, they're just not afraid of that. Yeah, You know, right. they just, you know, they're like, oh, I did this for a few years. I think I'm going to go do something else now. And, you know, it's just much more of a natural way of life to them. They, it doesn't freak them out. In the same that's right. That, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, you have the options are, and you've seen, you've, you've practiced that the options are available and that flow is available. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I also, before we finish, I, I wanted to talk about your two books and also ways that if anyone wants to reach out to you, they can, if they can um, ask questions. I, I think, are you doing some um, homeschool parent coaching as well? I thought I saw that on your website too. Um, yeah. But um, you have your, it's on my, it's on your sorry, it's on, my on blog. your blog. Okay. Yeah. Um, and your two books, Unschoolers and then Slow Homeschooling, Essays About Mindful Homeschooling. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about them and why you wrote them and what we can find when we get them? Well, Slow Homeschooling is just sort of a collection of essays um, that I had written over the years and that I just put together into a book. Um, it's, a you know, different topics kind of it's I, I think it's kind of a good introductory book because it talks about sort of reasons people homeschool, why you homeschool. It talks about, it has socialization in there, it has college in there. It kind of touches on all the things that people wonder about. And it also tells a little bit of my personal story and, um, you know, addresses the philosophy piece of slow homeschooling. Um, the other book I wrote with my friend, Sophia Sayeg, who um, I've homeschooled with for years. And we started, she's one of the people that I, that is a co-founder of Advocates for Home Education in Massachusetts. And we thought about writing a book together and we decided to write a fiction book because homeschoolers are so underrepresented in fiction. And when they are in fiction, they're often portrayed in really stereotypical extreme ways. Yes. Yeah. As weirdos kind of outcasts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. So we were just sort of, and, and we also would constantly get the question of, well, what, well, what do homeschoolers do all day? And I'm sure, as you know, that's a really hard question to answer (laughs) because it's very different and, you know, every one day is different than the next. And so we thought that by sort of creating this um, fictional support group, and this group of families and sort of 
it's kind of, it's also sort of a uh, description of how we homeschooled in the way that we've been talking about with this group of families that supports each other, but also sometimes has conflicts and, you know, there's just a lot of stuff and, and there's kid, the kids are characters in it as well. And so it's a, it's, it's fiction, but it's not, it's not really a novel. It's more like a series of fictional vin- connected vignettes. Okay. Okay. I like the concept. Okay. Fantastic. And both of these are available through Amazon? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, there's a, a book, a website for unschoolersbook.com, but, you know, and that can take you to the Amazon page and other places that it's available. Okay, perfect. I I will add the information for both of the books on in the show notes, as well as I'll add unschoolersbook.com, that website too. Great. So if anybody wants to, um, and a potluck life connecting yes. to your, to your blog there. So yeah, there's information edit. about both books there as well. Right. Perfect. Okay. So as we sum up and we finish up here, what advice would you give to parents who want to try homeschooling, but maybe they're just a little bit scared to take the leap? Although, I mean, as we say, there's so many resources and information right now, but (laughs) what would be your advice as a veteran homeschooler? Well, definitely read. Um, One thing I usually always tell people is, nothing is set in stone. You can always change your mind because people get so worried about the decision. And it's, it's not, you know, just because you decide to do it doesn't mean you have to do it forever. You can try it, (laughs) see if it works for you. Um, So kind of just reminding people that it's not something that, you know, you're not locked in. And I also think connecting with other homeschoolers and meeting other families and meeting kids is a huge um, because it helps people see that this is something, maybe I could do this, you know, that seeing other people do it. And then also meeting people so that you don't feel like you would be alone. Right. Um, so I think, you know, and obviously reading and there's so much out there, you know, read my book, there's tons of books, there's tons of blogs, um, I do think that reading is good in helping you sort of figure out your philosophy, but then you have to sort of see how that philosophy can be applied in your real life when you do it. So having philosophy is great and having ideas and a vision is great, but then you have to sort of deal with reality too. Right. Right. And put it in application. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think the, the the great thing too about connecting with other homeschoolers as well too, it, it does, it gives you that reality again of how um, we have our notions in our head, sometimes in our stereotypes and, and then to really see things can give us a different dose of reality in that way as well to give us and real meaning in so many yes. ways. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Those are, thank you. are absolutely wonderful recommendations and advice. And just thanks for taking the time. I'm, I'm really, really happy that we were able to connect and that I got a chance to talk to you today. Me too. It's fantastic. Hey, thanks, Milva. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Thank you.